Today's sermon texts are John 5, 19 and 20, and 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is God's Word. Good morning, everyone. 90 years. You know what my wife's comment was? She's 90 years old and she's still sweet. That really should be the goal, shouldn't it? Not not become old and bitter, but sweeter. And uh, that, that's really what I'd like to talk with you about this morning is uh, uh, the subject that's uh, brought up in the text, and that's talking about transformation. But first, I thought it with your approval that we might have a little icebreaker. Uh, this is Father's Day. I'm a father. I will not say anything to embarrass my daughter who is present. But that does not apply to my son who is absent. So if anybody up for a little insight into the Bennett family, oh yes, I see many of you already getting out your phones to take notes. So this is good. Uh, you know, uh, our son Chris, uh, Christopher, Christopher Lee, he, uh, was really a gift from God. And I, I don't mean that in some weird way. I, I just mean that God used him, him coming into our lives to draw us close to the Father God. And because we were living apart from the Lord, we've told our story before. Val grew up Catholic. I grew up Protestant. We decided we just won't go there. And so, uh, but when our son came along, it was like, oh, wow, we don't know how to do this. And there was almost a sense of panic. And so the Lord really used him to draw us into the church. And uh, I, I just see little things that pop up in my head when I think about our son. Certainly that precious little boy that came home from the hospital. But then a little bit later, I see this little tyke charging up and down the street on, his, on a three-wheeler. A uh, big wheel. A big wheel. And he was a terror on that thing. He, he intentionally tried to run over people, but, uh, and would not stay out of the street, had learned how to spin it around and all the rest. And, uh, it was amazing. I, I remember another little window that kind of pops up in front of me. I, I remember the day, a Saturday morning, my neighbor had gone out and planted all these beautiful flowers around a tree in his front yard. And I thought, well, that's nice. Kind of convicted me. I thought I need to plant something, you know? And, uh, so, so uh, a little while later in the day, I'm walking past the same window and I look out and the little boy next door and our Chris are out there just pulling those flowers up by the roots as fast as they could pull them. I have no idea what they thought they were doing. Weeding, I guess. But uh, I thought, oh my goodness. Then I see another window opening and it's my son coming home and sheepishly announcing that he'd been playing in the parking lot of the Baptist church down the street and somehow a rock had gone the wrong way and went right through the back window of the church and I thought, well, how bad can this be? So I walk down to the church and I'm stunned 
there is this gigantic picture window and it had drapes on it. The drapes are billowing outside the room and the building. And I'm just standing there looking at it thinking, oh, now I've got to go find the Baptist minister and explain to him that my son broke the window. I remember the day that he announced to us that uh, he was going to go to Bible college. And it was one of those moments. You ever feel so conflicted you don't know how to respond? I thought, okay, the, I need to be careful. I could really screw this up, you know. And I, I was trying not to grin too big. I was try, certainly trying not to laugh. And, uh, <laughs> because oh, in his teenage years, I just felt like there wasn't a lot of connection there. Uh, Val more than me, but I, I not, you know, and I was just stunned. And But we were delighted. Delighted, and I remember, uh, I don't remember why we did this. I think I wanted to spend a couple of hours with him in the car. So when we were sending him down to Bible school in Dallas, I drove him to Little Rock. And uh, where he'd fly from there into Dallas. And uh, uh, I, I never will forget, you know, I held it together really, really good right up until the moment. This is in the days when you could still go to the gates with somebody you know and you didn't have to go through security and all that kind of thing it was a long time ago and uh but i remember that as i was finally saying goodbye and hugged and kissed him on the cheek oh that was it it was like oh my goodness i i didn't stop crying until i got all the way back to memphis i thought what a wimp i am but uh nevertheless we we were happy we were delighted and and uh we just wondered wow what does the future hold? And you know, I think that's the great thing about fatherhood. We see these precious works in the making and we wonder, Lord, what's going to become of them? Have we done everything that we could to help them on their way? How, how can we cheer them on and make sure that they fulfill their destiny in life? And uh, with both of our children, we have just been blessed beyond words and uh, just praise God for the privilege and the opportunity. You know, being a father, I, I think it's a calling. It's a calling of God and a real key to it is understanding transformation, not only as children go older and go through different stages of life, but understanding what is God doing in our children. It may not always be apparent. It may not be obvious, but I can assure you that God is at work in them. This scripture from John chapter 5, notice, for the Father loves the Son. And shows him all things that he himself does. You know, that's what a father does. A good father shows his children what he's doing. Helps them to understand the process of life. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. I'm convinced that one of the most important things that fathers can show their children is what I'm calling the process of transformation. And the reason I call it a process is because of the second scripture that was shared this morning from 2 Corinthians 3. But we all. I just love it when Paul talks Southern, don't you? <laughs> but, but we all with unveiled face 
Now, now that seems a little strange just to unpack that a little bit. You need to see the context of this particular verse. And it's talking about a contrast, a comparison between the ministry of the law and condemnation and the ministry of the Spirit and the righteousness of God. How the latter far exceeds the former in excellent glory. It's preferable. It's better. It is more glorious. But we all, with unveiled face, remember when Moses would come from the presence of the Lord? He would put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel wouldn't see the glory that was there from being in the presence of God. But neither would they see that glory fade because it would not Remain. Moses didn't walk around with a veil on his face all the time, only after this period. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. You know, James talks about the word of God is like a mirror for us. We should be able to see what God's doing in us, what he's working to transform us in that mirror of his word. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed, being. It's an ongoing thing. Into the same image from glory to glory. And there again is the process. It's not just a one-time experience, a one-time thing. It's the ongoing process of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because it ends by saying, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. A couple of months ago, we were celebrating what the church calls Holy Week. Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday, runs through Good Friday, and then, of course, to Easter and the resurrection. It's a picture of the transformation process, and I think that's why it's so important for us to celebrate that in the church. First of all, what happened on Palm Sunday? Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey's colt. The people understood what that was. They understood the imagery of this, that they knew what they were looking at. This was the king. This was their Messiah. He was fulfilling prophecy by coming into the city of Jerusalem. And this was raising all kinds of questions in their minds. They're starting to wonder, well, why aren't the Pharisees, the people of the law, why aren't they saying something about this? Why are they allowing him to do it? You see, for them, it was a glimpse of glory. Could you say that with me? A glimpse of glory. I believe life is filled with many glimpses of glory. Certainly as parents, but also hopefully as children. We catch a glimpse of glory from time to time that helps us in this process of transformation. When the people saw Jesus coming into Jerusalem, they were so excited, they started waving palm branches in the air. Some of them began to take off their outer garments and lay them in the street so that Jesus, the colt that he was riding on, would walk across them. They were celebrating the fulfillment of the word. It was a glimpse of glory. But then we go to the next part of Holy Week. Good Friday, because it's here that Jesus shows them something else. He shows them what I would call demolition. On that day, 
he was given into the hands of wicked and sinful men who would judge and condemn him according to their law, even though he himself had no sin. And he would be tortured, he would suffer, he would be crucified, and he would die. You see, in transformation, every glimpse of glory, when you see something and think, oh, that's God, Whatever that is, I want some of that. I know that's God. I wish I had that in my life. Know for certainty that the next experience is going to be demolition. It's what we call repentance. There's a turning. There's a wrecking of ourselves in order to receive it. Then finally, of course, Easter. We know Easter is about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grave could not hold him. Jeremy was talking about an older song this morning. How about this one, Jeremy? Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor, anybody help me? From the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Christ Jesus has arisen, praise God. This is our faith. This is gospel, folks. This is what our life experience with the Lord is about. A glimpse of glory, a day of demolition, followed by a resurrection, a whole new creation to the glory of God Almighty. You know, if we're being transformed into his glorious image, it won't come by just a little tweak here and there. I think many of us look at transformation as something that God would do to just make a minor adjustment to our lives. Just just add a little goodness to what we're already experiencing. But that's not how God works, at least not from what I see in the Word, not from what I've personally experienced. I can tell you, I've been wrecked many times in the presence of God. And it's often just about the time you think you're doing pretty good. You think you got it together. I think I may have figured this thing out. And then you just get cut off at the knees and you wonder, wow, what happened with that? Well, pride's never going to please the Lord. It always comes before a fall. So I guess we should be prepared and ready for that. It's not about a minor adjustment. We were last Sunday in preaching in Brockville, Ontario at a place called Open Door Fellowship. And I noticed toward the back of the room, there were these three men sitting together and they were really getting involved. And, but they didn't look like the rest of the church crowd, whatever that looks like. And uh, they looked like they might have been new because, you know, they, they, did, they weren't housebroken. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? I, I mean, you know, they're, they're poking, they're high-fiving, they're talking back and forth, you know. And I thought, I wonder if anybody around them can even hear what's going on here. And uh, so I, I, I talked to the pastor uh, after the service, and he said, oh, yeah, those three guys. He said, they kind of come off and on. They get real excited. But then when they realize what they're going to have to die to in order to live to Christ, it's like they start backing off. But then they get curious again and they show up in church just like they did last Sunday. See, this is the thing. Many of us love a glimpse of glory. It's embracing the demolition that sometimes we're not too keen on. We're not so sure that it has to go that way. 
far. I remember Val and I going to church for over a year. And we were thinking, you know, well, when, when do we get it? You know, when, when do we, will we get it when we finally die to ourselves? Finally repent and are baptized in Jesus' name. You know, Ron Surgeon, uh, two or three weeks ago, was sharing with us about the discipline of disciples of Jesus Christ. And as he was talking, the word that jumped up in my spirit was sustainable. I don't know about you, but I want some sustainable transformation. Not just an experience. Not just a glimpse. I I want something that I can incorporate into my life that's going to be life-changing. Whatever it, if it takes a wrecking ball to get me there, whatever the case may be, here I am, Lord. I'm standing here in need of you. But sustainable transformation is built on a foundation. And he shared some of those disciplines. Prayer, fasting, meditation and memorization of the word of God, silence and solitude in the presence of the Lord. It's like fasting. You know, fasting was not intended that one week we swear off a lot of foods and once the week is over, we go back to whatever we were eating before. It's to change us. It's to transform us. It's to show us a new path forward so that we can be a part of this transformation process. We are transformed by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. As has been taught here recently, put off the old and put on the new. That's what it's all about. Well, why transformation? I believe transformation comes into our life to set us free. To set us free so that we can have more liberty so that we can be less intimidated, less conflicted within ourselves, but where we can come out of our shell and just experience all the liberty. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? Liberty. Liberty. Anybody experiencing more liberty? I don't think that stops. I want to be, have more liberty with every passing day. To the glory of God. What what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about free to love. Free to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Free to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then Jesus really pours it on. He says, and even free to love our enemies. Free to love them, which is a part a lot of us really need to work on, myself included. But it's freedom. It's freedom to love like we've never been able to love and express ourselves before. Yeah, I'm just so delighted. I feel like, I hope this is true, that with our son and daughter and their spouses and their beautiful children, our grandchildren, we feel like we're more free to love one another now than at any other time in our life experience. We feel like we've had a pretty good family. But you know what? We've had to go through some days of demolition, (laughs) There had to be some times of denying ourselves, taking up our cross in order to continue to move from glory to glory. That's what fathers do. I believe fathers are the real transformers. You know, another thing that my son loved when he was growing up was those transformer. I don't I won't call them a doll, but figures. <laughs> 
Transformer figures, and he, you know, Optimus Prime and Bumblebee, all these things, you know, that he had. He was really into that, and it still goes on. We, we were with a little boy this last weekend, and as he was getting out of the truck, he dropped a Transformer down there at my feet, and I thought, hmm, I might should say something about that. But uh, I think that's what, what fathers are to be. We're to be the lead in transformation. We're to show our children. The process of being transformed so they can recognize what God is doing by the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. Making us more free to worship God in spirit and in truth. Making us free to forgive those who trespass against us. Making us freer to give. Making us free to witness and to testify about the good things God is doing in our life. Making us free to prophesy. You know, this was a gift of the Holy Spirit that the Apostle Paul held in high regard. He encouraged everyone to prophesy. He didn't encourage everyone to be a prophet, okay? A forecaster, a predictor. It's not that. He was talking about a spirit of prophecy where we encourage, where we edify, where we console. That's the kind of anointing that we as fathers, I believe, are particularly suited to minister to our children. Because many of our children feel torn down in life. They need someone, and who better than a father figure, someone in their life who will build them up and not just tear them down. Many of our children are discouraged They need to hear an encouraging word from us as fathers. Something that only, I believe, a dad can speak with such strength and authority that it will strengthen our children for the next day. But then also to be there as fathers to console and to comfort our children when they fall down, when they fall short. Not just to heap condemnation on them. Not just to punish them. You know, I I wish I could stand before you and say, I've always known this and this is exactly how I operated as a father. But you know, I don't ever remember anybody saying these kinds of things to me. I remember just thinking, well, I'll just do what my father did. But you know, that's not always the right thing. Not that I dishonor my dad at all. I'm just saying that Sometimes all we know to do in regards to parenting as dads is what was done to us. But friends, there's a process of transformation that can help us to be more loving, help us to be more open, help us to be more aware of the potential that's in our children. You know, I've had spiritual fathers speak to me about things they saw in me. I wasn't even aware of it. But when I heard it from them, it encouraged me. It built me up. It comforted me. And I thought, well, yes, yes, there is progress being made. I believe this is a huge role for us as fathers. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. One day Jesus turned to his disciple Simon Peter. He said, Simon, 
who do you say that I am? That may be the most important question that we would ask of our children. Who do you say that Jesus is? Simon opened his mouth and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I think Jesus was impressed. He said, Simon, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Here was Simon, you know, the disciple with foot and mouth disease. He was forever stumbling over dumb things that he, anybody, man, I'm, I'm chief among sinners in this regard. Stuff will come out of my mouth and I'll be, oh, I wish I could reel that back in, you know. I didn't mean for that to sound that way. And especially when you say it to your children, you know, you're like, oh my goodness. But, you know, this was such a profound revelation that Jesus blesses him. He he tells him, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. You're going to be able to bind and to loose and all this wonderful things. And then in the very same conversation, Simon sort of defaults to the old guy. And when Jesus begins to talk about his day of demolition, he got a glimpse of glory. Now when Jesus begins to talk about the day of demolition that's necessary to be transformed, Peter says, no, Lord, we don't want to go there. He's like a pitcher who balks on the mound. (laughs) Bad thing to do. That'll get you a penalty there. We balk. We balk at the idea of demolition. We wonder, is that absolutely necessary to go so far with it? You know, not long after Holy Week, a few weeks go by and we celebrate Pentecost. What was that, like two Sundays ago, I guess, two or three Sundays ago. And on the day of Pentecost, 120 who had remained in the upper room where they had had all these glimpses of Jesus' resurrection, glimpses of glory, where they'd been told to wait. You know, wait is a lot like dying, because we don't like waiting. We, we like wait about as much as we like change. And yet transformation includes both of them. Those who would wait upon the Lord. Those who would, I think the King James says, they would tarry. <laughs> they'd hang out together and they'd pray there in the upper room. They were going to receive something. Do you remember how it's worded in Acts? That they would receive The promise of the Father. The Father had promised them something. He promised them an anointing that was going to transform them from a group in the upper room. See, they weren't being baptized with the Holy Spirit to turn into a Pentecostal holy roller group. But rather it was for the harvest you know, it's, it's a tragedy, I think, when the church divorces the Holy Spirit from the harvest. The two things were meant to be together. That's what this is really all about. It's not just about us. That 120 couldn't stay in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. They poured out into the streets and themselves became a glimpse of glory. Dads, wouldn't you like to sometimes be a glimpse of glory for your kids? <laughs> Wouldn't you like sometimes to show them the Christ in you, the very hope of glory? See, I believe that's what fathers do. Fathers who are being transformed 
into God's glorious image are going to keep their promises. Dads, I just challenge you today. If there are some unkept promises, some things that we've told our children, yes, I'm going to do this and this is going to take place and all the rest of it, to whatever ability we have, let's give ourselves to keeping our promises Sometimes we make promises with good intentions, but then we get so caught up in busyness and life that we forget. Isn't it good to know we've got a heavenly father that doesn't forget? He delivers on his promises. What does the word say? All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that would be true in us as well that it would always be amen in Jesus' name. Well, this cycle of transformation never stops. We've never really fully arrived. Stop the process of transformation and we stop the cycle of life that transforms us both personally and corporately into the image of God's beloved sons, His children. Transformation is the cycle of life in Christ. This is abundant life. Transformation is the way forward for all who are in Christ Jesus. From day to day, from season to season, from generation to generation, and even from age to age. I'll give you an example here. Anybody like to watch HGTV? Home and Garden Television fans. Uh, Valley, or, yeah, whoever, whoever has the garden gene or whatever, yeah, renovation gene. Val and I have a favorite program. Anybody want to take a guess at what that might be? That's it. For you who have not discovered this revelational program, it's Fixer Uppers. And uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines are two Christian people who um, have a business where they renovate homes, old homes. Uh, amazing place. I've seen them renovate a barn into a home. I thought, good grief. But anyway, uh, we are often on the road. You probably notice we're not here every Sunday. I guess we average about one Sunday a month. We're usually out on the road somewhere. And uh, so we don't get to watch the episode each week. So we come home and binge watch. <laughs> and the great thing about binge watching is you start to see patterns. And I'm sitting there one day and I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing. Here's how it works. A client will contract with them to renovate a home that they can live in somewhere around Waco, Texas. Now, right there for me, this has to be the hand of God. <laughs> because who, who really in their right mind wants to move to Waco, Texas? I, I mean, we used to laugh about, you know, Waco's for the wackos or whatever, but, uh, you know, what's going on here? But they are so drawn to this program that they want these, this couple to renovate a home for them, and they want to live in Waco, Texas, of all places. So uh, they contract with the gains, and the gains take them around to two or three different houses. And they're showing them the potential that's in those places. We, we watched one last week, Val. They took them out in the middle of nowhere. There was not another human being that you could see anywhere. 
Of course, there are a lot of places like that in Texas. But nevertheless, it was just wide open. And here on this corner of two streets was a shack. And I'm being kind when I call that a shack. I mean, this thing, I'm looking, the, the couple looked at each other like, who are they? They really are Wacoans. <laughs> They're Waco. <laughs> How, why would they bring us here? But then Chip and Joanne began to walk them around. They're casting what we would spiritually say is vision. Okay, they're giving them a glimpse of glory as to what this property could become. And before you know it, this couple are agreeing to it. But what I loved about it is you could see from the look on their face, they're saying yes, but they're wondering, what is possessing us to agree to do this? <laughs> you know, even Chip Gaines admitted this place is so bad, I think I can salvage some of the material, but the rest is all going to be gone, okay? I mean, it was termite and it was horrible. But then the very next day, the process continues. Chip Gaines has a favorite day. Demolition day. There you go. All right. So this is the gospel according to HGTV. So uh, here comes demolition day. And Chip Gaines, I mean, he didn't come with a hammer and a screwdriver. He comes in with a chainsaw and a sledgehammer. He comes in in coveralls. This is his favorite day. He's tearing out walls, ceiling, you know, flooring, everything. I've seen this man literally throw himself through a sheetrock wall. Now, you better know what you're doing when you do that. You know, I, I don't know where the studs are. So, you know, if I tried to do that, the only damage is probably going to be to my hard head. And so, and in a day, he can completely demolish a place. But the demolition is necessary if you're going to have a new home, a dream home, the kind of home that you've always hoped for. Or to think of it another way, a new path forward for you and for your family. A day of demolition is absolutely necessary. Uh, you know, they, uh, the Gaines like to say that they are transforming their community one house at a time. I think that's a word to every one of us. Lord, let it begin with my house. <laughs> Let's transform this community of Memphis, Tennessee, one house at a time. I particularly like the short version. Forgive the vernacular. We take crappy and make it happy. Now, when I heard that, I was about to get all indignant sitting there being, you know, I was going to be religious and I thought, oh, well, they, you know, and then suddenly I get this, I get this picture of God smiling at me and, and I suddenly realized, oh yeah, I remember how crappy I really was, you know, and, and now you have indeed made me happy and for that I'll be eternally grateful. We take crappy and make it happy. Their show is so successful because they live and minister God's process of transformation. What is it? A glimpse of glory, a day of demolition, a new house, a new path forward. That's what it's about. You know, sometimes we can catch a glimpse of glory and we don't know what to do with it. Remember Peter... He was on a housetop in Joppa. He's sitting up there waiting for lunch. And he starts to have this weird vision 
of sheets. He didn't know if it was picnics or what it was, but being lowered. And it was, the sheets were filled with all these unclean animals that Jews weren't allowed to eat. And he's resisting this thing, but he keeps hearing this voice. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. He's thinking, is this the devil? Is this God? Who, who am I listening to? What am I seeing here? And you know, it ends up, it wasn't really so much about food. What it was really about were the three guys who were about to knock on the front door of the house. Three Gentiles. And suddenly they're asking him to go with them to their master's house, a Roman centurion named Cornelius, and preach the gospel. And now Peter sees it. Oh, oh, it wasn't about lunch. These three Italians didn't come to bring me pizza with anchovies or anything. No, that's not what this is about. It's about what God has cleansed. Let no man call unclean. And he goes to the centurion, a Roman centurion's house. No, I mean, I would have been thinking, is this a trap? But he goes to a Roman centurion's house, preaches the gospel. And the man, his family, his whole, everyone he was associated with, they come to Christ. What a powerful thing. Understanding the revelation, the glimpse of glory that we're being given. Fathers who are being transformed into the glorious image of God show their children the process of transformation. One of the reasons we're here today and this congregation we look like we do is because back in 1983 Val and I had just graduated from school. We took our two children, Chris and Denise, went on a little family vacation. Ended up on a Sunday morning in a church called Rock Church, Virginia Beach, Virginia. A southern city. Now, at that time, here in Memphis, Tennessee, congregations did not look like you. They were all one group or the other group, one denomination or another, one race, one tongue, one tribe, whatever it was, we were all divided up. And we had been taught the great truth of the day was that if you're going to grow a great church, you must have a homogeneous congregation. It seemed true. It seemed to be a statement of what was here. But when God is transforming us, he's not so interested in what's here, what's obvious, as in where he wants to take us. We walk into this church... I'd never been in such a big church, 3,500 people. It was massive. And by just the hand of God, because I wasn't looking for it. I like to watch these people on TV. I thought they were nuts. But uh, I, I, was a, I was trying to be a good Methodist pastor, you know. These people are crazy. Anyway, I, I get there. I think I'm going to be safe. I've never been to Virginia before. I don't know anybody here. Walk in the door, and who's the first person that greets me? Somebody I know. I thought, well, it's a coincidence. I come out, I'm on the platform. Now, the platform of this church was bigger than this. It had more people on it than we've got here this morning. 
It took me a while for my eyes to focus before I could even see the congregation. And suddenly I'm seeing white and black and brown and people. I didn't know who they were. I was amazed. I thought, well, this is a southern city. I thought we couldn't do this. See, it was a glimpse of glory. The ride home were the days of demolition (laughs) as we died to ourselves, came home and resigned to our church and said, we're going to start all over. Now, I would love to tell you that I had all that worked out in my head or that all this was intentional. We can take no credit for this, whatever. We blundered into this. This is just something that we saw, but I'm so, so delighted that our children witnessed it with us. Because that's why we're here this morning. Why renewal has become the kind of church that it is. We're still filled with the Spirit and all kinds of people. But now we're going beyond even that. Into all that God has for us. As he's building us a new house. I'll wrap this up. I could give you many examples. Saul of Tarsus. A man that if you'd asked him, are you in the will of God, he'd have told you for sure and maybe nobody else was. But on the way to Damascus, a funny thing happened. Suddenly, there's a glimpse of glory. It's a light so bright it blinds him. He ends up helpless. And it's revealed to him that the very thing he's doing is fighting against God. He was persecuting Jesus and his church. He ends up demolished for three days in Damascus. He's blind. He doesn't know what to do until the Lord sends him, out of mercy and grace, a prophet who lays hands on him, restores his vision, preaches the gospel to him, and Saul of Tarsus becomes the apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest early apostle of the church. What a transformation from someone who was under the ministry of the law and condemnation, that's why he wanted to persecute people, to someone who was of the ministry of the Spirit, who wanted to love people, who wanted them to know the righteousness of God that can be ours through faith in Jesus' name, something that wasn't of works, something that is truly the sincere gift of God. God wants us to be a glimpse of glory. Val and I were visiting with a nephew and his wife up in uh, Calgary. And uh, he works on the uh, Calgary police force. He's a constable. And after dinner one night, he wanted to take us over to his police station and uh, to show us around. And we thought, well, great. So we go in the parking lot where only the police are allowed, you know, and everything, fenced in. And then he takes us through his station and shows us the interrogation rooms, all these kinds of things. Then we're about to leave and we go back and get in his car and we drive up to the gate. And as the gate is opening, I see this sign on it. And the sign said, drive as if everyone is watching because they are. (laughs) I thought, yeah, that's really what it's about, isn't it? How about this? Transformed people. Fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, sons and daughters and grandchildren live as though everyone is watching, but not under the law, not under 
condemnation. Not thinking that, you know, I've always got to watch my step and my, mind my P's and Q's and all the... But no, no. No. It's the love of God. It's the love of God that transforms us and transforms the lives of people that we have to do with. Fathers who are being transformed into the glorious image of God have unveiled faces. Unveiled. Transparent. They're authentic. They don't try to hide the light of the knowledge of the glory of God inside of them. No, His glory is on their countenance. Can't you tell when the glory of God is on someone's countenance? I, I mean, it, it, it's like they just light up the room. You know, it's, it's amazing. The freedom that they have. It's not about always wearing a scowl or acting like we're stoic Christians or something. But rather, let the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that's shown on the face of Christ shine from our countenance, our outlook on life, our perception of people around us, but also in regards to not only our countenance, but also our conversation. Because people aren't just watching. They are listening. And I'm convinced that as many or possibly more people overhear the gospel as the gospel that's directed at them. They overhear it in our conversation. They want to see it in covenant relationships. You know, for a long time as a teenager, I struggled with the whole idea of the Christian faith because I just didn't see anybody that I thought was really living it out in a practical way. Somehow, like I could, I needed that example, but it seemed hidden from me. Mm. We have to embrace whatever demolition is necessary to be one in the body of Christ the church that this community needs to see. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17 that we be one as he and the Father are one. And he said to that end, I've given them your word, Lord, the words you gave me, the love with which you've loved me, I've loved them, and the same glory that you've given to me, I've bestowed on them. Friends, the glory of God is not something that we have to run around and search for. The glory of God is ours. We are to the glory of God. J.I. Packer said that the Holy Spirit is like a spotlight shining on a house. The idea is not to walk up and stare at the spotlight. Good way to go blind but rather to look at the house. That's the idea of the Holy Spirit, that we're being transformed just as by the Holy Spirit. Fathers who are being transformed into the glorious image of God show forth the perfect love of God, even though we know we are wildly imperfect. The love that covers a multitude of sins. The love that casts out fear. That's what our children need. The love that never fails. The love of God that bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, and hopes all things. So in summation, fathers, 
let's keep our promises. Fathers, let's show our children the process of transformation. Help them understand what's going on in their lives. Fathers, let's be transparent and authentic with unveiled faces. In our children's lives, they need a male figure who is open, who's real, who's authentic, who can admit, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect, but the perfect one is at work in me. That's what we need to show them. And fathers, show them above all the perfect love of God because our human love falls so very far short of that. I think something's shifting in our culture. It used to be that we talked about moms were the nurturing, loving ones and so forth that bound our wounds and all the rest. Dads, they were kind of this strong John Wayne type guy, swaggered in and out the door, you know, never really knew, looking at his face, you never knew what he was thinking. You know, you never knew, you know, who's come through the door here today? What, what kind of mood is he in? What kind of battles has he been fighting and all the rest? I believe we're seeing a shift in our culture today. One, where fathers truly with unveiled faces show their children the love of God. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Father, I pray today. I pray today that not only as fathers, but as children, as sons and daughters, as moms and dads, that our eyes would be open, not to just see the obvious, but to perceive the potential. Perceive the potential that's in each one of our homes, that is in this house, your house, Lord God. I pray that our ears would be unstopped, not just to hear the cacophony of voices that are so opinionated, and especially in a time in our community, Lord, when everyone just seems to be shouting each other down. Oh, Lord, help us to hear your still small voice, that voice of the Spirit that we may hear and understand what you're saying and what you're doing. Help us, O Lord, to be transformed in our inner man, our inner person, our inner child, that we might shine forth and show your glory. Transform us, O Lord, by the power of your abiding Holy Spirit that we may be pleasing to you in all things, in Jesus' name, amen.